Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Beathor Ilyich was a tortured soul. He was tormented by rejection. Allegedly, Beathor was rejected every time that his uh, mother thought that he was misbehaving. And she told him that God would reject him as well. And although Beathor was clearly musically gifted as a child, his parents directed him toward a course of civil service. And so when he enrolled at the music conservatory, that decision met with their strong disapproval and he felt rejected. But he eventually became the most famous composer in his country. But his critics denounced his music as being overly romantic and his peers discounted it as being light and um, frivolous. And so he was pained by their rejection. But there was something else. Uh, Piotr struggled with feelings of homosexuality. And so he struggled with that, and he attempted to marry a woman, but that marriage ended in disaster, leaving him feeling even more rejected. And he longed to confess those struggles to the priest, but he feared excommunication and rejection by the church. And so when Piotr Ilyich was just 53 years of age, he died. And when he died, it was attributed to cholera, but many people believe that he took his own life by suicide. Piotr Ilyich is better known by his Russian family name, Tchaikovsky. He was the composer of Swan Lake, of the Nutcracker, the 1812 Overture, just to name a few. This just goes to remind us that people can appear relatively fine outwardly. They can live productive lives and actually accomplish great things, all while suffering intensely under the weight and anguish of rejection. And that might be where some of you are this morning, suffering intensely under the weight and anguish of rejection. But I'm guessing everyone on some level here this morning is wrestling with past wounds and the fear of present rejection, at least on some level, because rejection is a common human experience, and maybe especially so for God's people, because when we open up the Scriptures, we read of people like Noah and of people like David, people like Joseph, and people like Jeremiah and John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle, who endured harsh rejection in their life. And so it's important for us to hear what the Bible has to teach us about handling rejection. Handling rejection. Moses was also someone who was repeatedly rejected. He was rejected by Pharaoh. His message to let the people go was rejected by Pharaoh. He was at one time challenged and rejected by his own siblings, Aaron and Miriam. And he was repeatedly rejected in terms of the exercise of his leadership by those that he was called to lead, the people of Israel. So Moses knew rejection. We actually see this happen very early in his life in ministry in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can open to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. We're going to read that passage. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to find a paperback Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you, and that text can be found on page 26 of those paperback Bibles. But this episode in the life of Moses in Exodus chapter 2 is interpreted for us in the New Testament by Stephen as an episode of rejection in Acts chapter 7, verse 35. So we're also going to read that passage, but I'll have that passage on the slides for you, the Acts chapter 7, verse 35 passage. So if you found Acts chapter 2, 
verses 11 through 14. I invite you now, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in verse 11 of Exodus chapter 2, this is the Word of God. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And now you can see on the screen this interpretation for us in Acts chapter 7, verse 35. These are the words of Stephen before he was stoned. Stephen says, This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, in considering how to go about handling rejection, we can start by acknowledging that we experience the feelings of rejection in pain. We experience the feelings of rejection in pain. Rejection hurts. It can be painful to not get invited to the party. It can be painful to not be included in the group that's going to lunch. It can be painful when you get passed over to be a partner in a project, in a class. When people who you know look right at you and then walk past to sit next to someone else at social events, that can be painful. It could be painful to not make the team, to not be chosen to serve in student organizations. Not to mention it can be painful when you're rejected because of how you look or maybe even because of your faith. But the pain that we experience with rejection doesn't diminish as we get older. It stings to be rejected or overlooked for promotions or for jobs. And then when we do get those promotions, to be rejected by the people that we're called to lead or to serve. It can be painful to get let go of jobs and to be fired. Or when your ideas or proposals are dismissed or overlooked, especially in favor of someone else's ideas and proposals. And it can be very hurtful when our work and our service that's rendered on behalf of others is discarded and neglected. It can be hurtful. But the pain that we experience with rejection is particularly crushing when we feel spurned by those that we're supposed to be closest to. Like when parents reject their own children or children feel rejected by their own parents or when you're betrayed by someone who is close to you. Or when you have a crush on someone and that interest is not reciprocated toward you at all. Or when someone breaks up with you. Or when a spouse leaves another spouse. Especially if a spouse leaves for someone else. Those kinds of experiences can cut us deeply. And they wound us because we experience the feelings of rejection in pain. I suppose one of the reasons that rejection is so painful is because it feels so personal. We don't just feel rejected, 
we feel like rejects. And we don't just feel like we have failed, we feel like failures. And so, predictably, clinical research indicates that those who are experiencing rejection often find that accompanied by things like anxiety and depression, difficulty focusing and concentrating. They experience sleep deprivation and a diminishing of their immune function. And for some people, it's experienced in increased feelings of anger and aggression. It wouldn't surprise us, I don't think at all, to learn that when 15 school shooters were analyzed in 2003, it was found that all but two of them were experiencing feelings of social rejection. And in the face of complaints on one occasion, with his leadership being rejected, even Moses declared this desire to be dead, for his life to end. As he speaks these words to the Lord in Numbers chapter 11, he says, the burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. That's what he says in the face of criticism and complaints. And for these kinds of reasons, it's important then that we find ways of handling rejection effectively and biblically. Because if we don't have ways of handling rejection biblically and effectively, we tend to try to protect ourselves in unbiblical ways. Namely, our fear of the pain of rejection coming from others outweighs our fear of the Lord. We fear that pain of rejection from others more than we fear the Lord. And so what happens is we neglect obeying the Lord or we fail to obey the Lord. We sacrifice our obedience to the Lord on the altar of trying to gain the acceptance of others and keep their approval. And we actually read this happening on a number of occasions in Scripture, where obedience to the Lord is sacrificed in order to gain or keep the acceptance and approval of people. We see this when King Saul disobeys the words of the Lord that are spoken through Samuel the prophet. And Saul explains his own disobedience with his own words. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 26, this is what we read. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because, so here's the reason, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. He didn't fear the Lord, and he didn't obey the voice of the Lord through Samuel the prophet. He feared the people, and so he obeyed their voice over the voice of the Lord. We read this about some of the Jewish leaders at the time of Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. We read that many, even of the authorities, this is the Jewish authorities, believed in Jesus But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For, here's the reason again, they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So the reason we need to have ways of handling rejection and to face the pain of rejection effectively and biblically, because if we don't, we won't remain faithful to the Lord. That's what's at stake on some level is faithfulness to the Lord if we can't handle rejection from people and face that pain well. And one of the ways that we can face that pain and handle rejection is by finding the opportunity in rejection. And we do that because we assess the fairness of rejection in humility. We can assess the fairness of rejection with humility. Yes, rejection can be painful, but it can often be an opportunity for growth and maturity. Because in the face of rejection and failure, 
we can be prompted to ask ourselves these kinds of questions. Is there something about this rejection? There's something about this failure? Is there something about this criticism that exposes an area in which I actually need to grow? Whether that's socially or professionally or academically or relationally. A guy by the name of James Lee Burke said, there's nothing like rejection to do an inventory of yourself. And there's something that can be very valuable about that. Case in point, Pulitzer Prize winning author Carl Sandburg recalls how when he was writing poetry in the early days, he sent his poems to a number of publishers who rejected those poems for publication immediately. But Sandberg goes on to write later, he says, I read those letters of rejection years later, and I found that I agreed with those editors. They were right. And so in the face of that rejection, it prompted him to face his weakness and to improve his skills. Now, let's be clear, the rejection of the Israelites of Moses that occurred repeatedly was sinful. But can't we also say that Moses wasn't really ready to lead fully in Exodus chapter 2? with the passage that we read. He wasn't yet ready to lead the Israelites. I mean, what, was he going to overthrow 400 years of systemic slavery and institutional oppression by the Egyptian government over the Israelites by killing one Egyptian at a time with his own hands? That's his plan? That's not a plan. And it's not a right-headed or godly approach either because it seems that Moses is attempting to accomplish by his own hands and in his own power what only God can accomplish in his. It would be God's mighty hand and outstretched arm that would bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Not Moses' mighty hand and outstretched arm. And on top of this, although Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, we read that, that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, It's true that he would need 40 years of shepherding actual sheep in the wilderness before he would be ready to lead God's flock through the wilderness into the land that God had promised them. He wasn't ready yet. He needed to address some deficiencies in his character and in his readiness. And so we can assess the fairness of rejection with humility in the face of those rejections at times. But in order to do this, We have to accept some basic truths. In order for us to assess the fairness of rejection with humility, we need to accept some basic truths. And the first one is this. Not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone is going to accept you. Not everyone is going to be impressed with the skills and talents that you bring to the table. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you might remember an episode where George Costanza is asked directly, does everyone have to like you? And his answer was, yes, everyone has to like me. I must be liked. Now, that's extremely unrealistic. But it's also tragically common that we think that everybody has to like us. The truth is, you don't like everybody. You don't accept everybody. You're not impressed by everybody's skills and talents. And not everybody is going to like or accept you either. In fact, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Why would he say such a thing? Because if all people are speaking well of us, it probably indicates a level of compromise in our walk with the Lord, that we're more intent on pleasing people than we are on pleasing the Lord. And we've already seen examples of that in Scripture. And so the truth is, you can't and you won't and you shouldn't try to please everybody. It's not going to happen. Not everyone is going to like you. The second basic truth we have to accept is this. You're never going to be the best at everything. 
you're probably not even going to be the best at the things that you're really good at. It's likely there's going to be somebody who is better than you at certain things. Someone is going to know more things than you know, even about the things you know a lot about. Someone is going to have more experience than you. Somebody's going to have better ideas than you have. You're not always going to be right. And so there are going to be times where you get passed over for other people and you're going to feel rejected. And when that happens, you can respond to that by assessing whatever fairness they might be in that rejection. And then you can face whatever deficits you might have in character and in skills and abilities, and then you can strive with humility to grow in your competence and your ability and your virtue and your godliness. You can choose to assess that and seek growth in it, or you can respond in pride and anger and refuse to grow. Or you can respond in fear and insecurity and shrivel up. Those last two options are not godly options. They will not be good for you if you just respond in pride and anger and security and fear. We can assess rejection with humility. But what about in the face of betrayal? and abandonment, when you've been rejected that way, are we supposed to assess the fairness of rejection in the face of those kinds of things? It doesn't even seem like fairness is an appropriate word to use there. It actually feels harsh to talk about using, to assessing the fairness of that kind of rejection. And perhaps that's not the best word to use there. But even then, even though we can say that you were betrayed and you were left for reasons that were not your fault, even in the face of those things, it can prompt us to ask the question, how can I use this situation, this experience, to grow in godliness? How can I grow in godliness as a result of this experience? You can ask it even in that kind of situation. I've said this before. I said it in Discipleship Hour class this morning. Some of you have heard me say it before. If you haven't heard me say it, I'm going to say it again. Life is about what happens to you. And oftentimes we have very little control over the things that are happening to us. We have to trust that God and His sovereign rule is controlling those things and that He's, he's controlling them in His wisdom, His goodness, and His love. But life isn't only about what happens to you. Life is also about how you respond to what happens to you. Life is about how you respond, and we make choices about how we respond. And those responses will shape who we are. And we have to own those choices. And so when you face rejection and failure and criticism and complaints, how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to that rejection? One of the first things I should do when my leadership or my teaching or my care or my shepherding is rejected or criticized or challenged, or when I experience failure in those areas, one of the first things I should do is ask myself, is there anything legitimate about these criticisms, about this rejection, about this failure? I'm not omnicompetent. I'll say that again. I am not omnicompetent. There are lots of things I need to grow in, and so rejection and failure and criticism and challenge can be an opportunity for me to identify those things. Are there ways that I need to grow here? in my leadership, in response to these things, in the face of rejection, my leadership, my shepherding, my teaching. And I'm guessing if you're honest with yourself, you're not omnicompetent either. And so you can assess 
the, uh, what was the point again? The fairness of rejection with humility. But it's really hard to respond that way, isn't it? Given how painful and personal rejection feels, it's really, really hard for us to respond that way. In fact, it takes an awful lot of internal security to be able to respond that way. But we can have that kind of internal security if we overcome the fear of rejection by grace. We overcome the fear of rejection by grace. Rejection hurts. And it hurts because we long for acceptance. We want to be fully known and fully loved. And the reason we long for that is because God made us that way. He made us to know His acceptance of us. And yet, I have valid reasons to be haunted by the suspicion of divine rejection. Because God knows me more fully than anybody else does. He knows me more fully than anybody else could, which means He knows fully the depths of moral deficits that I have. He knows more than anybody the failure to love in relationships that I exhibit. He knows the depths of the perversity of my sin. And so he cannot possibly accept me or love me. Or can he? The gospel tells me that not only can he, but that he does. The gospel is that God does not reject me like my sins deserve, but instead he accepts me with love and delight in Christ Jesus. The gospel is a gospel of divine acceptance, and it's this divine acceptance that enables us to overcome our fear of rejection by grace, the grace that God extends to us in and through Christ. We find acceptance in him, and when we rightly esteem this acceptance, God's acceptance of us will outweigh and eclipse all the other rejection that we are suffering from other people because it comes from the most ultimate, definitive, and defining source. Do you believe that, though? Is God's acceptance of you in the gospel most ultimate, most definitive, and most defining for you, such that it outweighs all the other rejection that you might suffer from others? Do you rightly esteem God's acceptance of you as ultimate? I mean, isn't it true that maybe one of the reasons Moses could handle the repeated rejection he suffered in his life and his ministry is because he knew the Lord accepted him. We're told later in Exodus in chapter 33 that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face like a friend speaks to a friend. We also read of the Lord defending Moses when he is criticized and challenged by Aaron and Miriam later in his ministry. This is what the Lord says to Aaron and Miriam, rebuking them in Numbers chapter 12, verse 8. He says, With Moses, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. I mean, whatever mystery that provokes for us, that's something special, that Moses beholds the form of the Lord. Then he says, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. Moses could handle rejection because he knew of the Lord's acceptance of him. But listen, we have even greater reasons for assurance of God's acceptance of us 
in and from Jesus. When Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Listen, if you go to Jesus, he will not reject you. He will change you, but he will not reject you. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, shares with us John Bunyan's moving treatment of this verse. And Bunyan writes this, this promise, this promise that he will never cast us out. He says, this promise was provided to answer all objections and does answer them. But I am a great sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I have served Satan all my days, say you. I have sinned against light, say you. I have sinned against mercy, say you. I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will never cast out, says Christ. Dane Ortland continues by writing this. He says, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us. No, wait, we say cautiously approaching Jesus, you don't understand, I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, he responds. Well, you know most of it, sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's perversity down inside me that's hidden from everyone. I know it all. Well, the thing is, it isn't just my past, it's my present too, I understand. But I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. It's the only kind of person I'm here to help. The burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me. You don't get it. My offenses aren't directed toward others. They're against you. Then I'm the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you are not moved by the weight of these words, your heart is cold this morning. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's with this kind of Savior that we overcome the fear of rejection by grace. This is the kind of grace that Tchaikovsky needed for the rejections that plagued him. This is the kind of grace that Moses the killer needed. This is the kind of grace that David the adulterer needed. This is the kind of grace that Paul the persecutor needed. This is the kind of grace that you need and that I need. It's the accepting grace that's been won for us through the work of Jesus. Now, it's good for us to remember that when people reject us because of our faith or when people reject us because of the truth, by living the truth, by speaking the truth, that's not personal. When people reject us because of our faith or because of the truth, it's not personal. Their issue is with God. They're rejecting God. But sometimes that rejection is personal. And when it's personal, we can handle rejection if we are secure in the acceptance that God has for us in Christ Jesus. We can handle that rejection. Now, we will still experience the feelings of that rejection in pain. That will still happen. It will still hurt, but that pain will no longer be ultimate or defining. 
We will no longer be in bondage to having to please everybody else and try to merit and keep their acceptance. We'll be freed from that because we're secured in God's ultimate acceptance of us. And so while we'll continue to experience the feelings of rejection and pain, we'll also be able to assess the fairness of rejection with humility because we've overcome the fear of rejection by grace, the grace that comes to us in Christ, in the gospel. Let's be very clear that accepting grace only comes to us through Christ. We're only accepted by the Father in Christ. And we're only accepted by God in Christ because Jesus was rejected. Moses knew rejection repeatedly. But Jesus knew rejection more fully than Moses. Jesus knew rejection more fully than any of us. Because not only was Jesus betrayed by one of his close disciples, not only did all of his disciples flee, as Brandon already read to us this morning, and not only was Jesus rejected by the people he came to, as John chapter 1 verse 11 tells us, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. On top of all of this, Jesus was rejected by the Father on the cross in our place. When Jesus came to us to save us, Paul Tripp describes it this way. He says it was the ultimate arrival by the ultimate person for the ultimate task to win the ultimate victory. But to win us that victory, in order to gain for us acceptance before the Father, he had to undergo the ultimate rejection of being forsaken on the cross by the Father in our place. But listen, we are forgiven because he was forsaken. Because he was rejected, because he was condemned, we're accepted if we come to him. If we come to him, whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will never cast out. And so, wherever you're at this morning, in your heart of hearts, wherever you're at, whether you're a long-time mature believer, whether you're a new, young believer, if you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, if you're an unbeliever, if you're young, if you're old, go to Jesus in faith. He will not reject you. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And through his ultimate rejection, he is the ultimate answer for handling rejection because we find our acceptance in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and your grace alone that accepts us. Would you ground us and root us in that acceptance? Lord, cause us to believe it. Cause us to come to Jesus and know that we are not rejected, but we are accepted, so that we might be free from winning the acceptance or avoiding the rejection of others, because ultimately we know your favor, your blessing, and your acceptance rests upon us the perfect righteousness of Jesus that is ours by faith. We look to him and we pray in his name. Amen.